Welcome to the 31st episode of Dialuka, a podcast between two friends about the latest in politics, society, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Stephanie Tangkilisan. And I'm Sweden Lee. And this week, we're going to be talking about the upcoming 18th year anniversary of the East Timor independence referendum and discussing how 18 years on, what lessons we've learned, and the kind of history that we still have to contend with as Indonesians. We also have a special conversation with John Miller, the National Coordinator for ETAN, the East Timor and Indonesia Action Network, an organization who has helped bring the spotlight to human rights abuses in East Timor. So here's to it. So a week from now, we will be commemorating the 18th year anniversary of the Timor-Leste or East Timor referendum. So as many Indonesians know, one of the effects of the fall of the new order was the independence of East Timor in 1999. So the reason why we thought it was important for us to talk about this now, you know, which is as good of any time to delve into Indonesia's murky and bloody past, is... Um, Mm -hmm. I think for me, at least, there's this sense that, especially with the West Papua protest and violence in Papua, as well as increasing conservatism, a lot of people's immediate response to it was this concept of NKRI Hargamati, which is, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. national unity or bust, essentially. And I would just want to, like, make sure that people who sometimes say this are aware that, you know, this concept has real tangible consequence that has led to the deaths of hundreds of thousands than Indonesian citizens. So when we're using that term, it, it's something that just kind of makes me very physically uncomfortable when I hear people who may otherwise be quite liberal, but, you know, really espousing this NKRI thing, especially in reference to AHOK and, and West Papua. And I think it's good to really look into, you know, what this kind of concept has been used in and to justify a lot of horrendous atrocities and human rights violations in our country's past. And I also think, right, like, when I first heard of the phrase NKRI Hargamati, I heard of it sort of like in this context of blind patriotism. And as we can see all over the world, not just in Indonesia, but elsewhere, like, blind patriotism can be a very dangerous path to go and walk on. Mm -hmm. And it's really important for us to consider the history and implications of a statement like this because... You know, this is many people, as Stephanie has mentioned, hundreds and thousands of people have died. And not only Indonesian citizens, there has been casualties on the Timor-Leste or East Timor side, but also Australian citizens and other international casualties. So if we ignore the past, like we can't think about the future and where we can go as a country. I, I don't necessarily think it's just a past thing, especially with West Papua. I know some Papuans think it's a similar situation where Indonesia is occupying Papua. So I just kind of want us to use this experience to learn from the past and see what, you know, blind patriotism has led to or have been used by, like used by, you know, elites to justify. And just kind of, I think even a lot of people today still have the sentiments like, oh, it's better for East Timor to, you know, reintegrate back to Indonesia 
or all of these kind of you know kind of very machismo kind of emotions in the context of like their growing economic uncertainty right like there has been many articles in the last few years talking about how the east timor economy has been tanking for a while because of its heavy dependence on natural resources right yeah i also think for a lot of people at least i and i count myself as part of this like the younger generation of indonesians we don't know the full extent of what happened in east timor right it's sort of like we we grew up right at the cusp of what happened so we only know it as a historical footnote and we don't we have never sort of like envisioned indonesia our country as a penjaja or a colonizer because so much of what we were taught when we were children was like oh we escaped or we broke free from the we escaped the dutch the, the, the white man you know the other uh, colonizers yeah i think that there's a lot of pathology and kind of you know portraying ourselves as a victim oftentimes in these kind of scenarios and uh, we're not always so innocent as you guys will hear but just kind of like you know maybe we kind of have this syndrome of not being recognized internationally but mm-hmm. you know we've also committed as a country a lot of and still are continuing a lot of human rights violations and these people who committed human rights violations are still in very very visible high positions of power in the ministry and the top levels of government right now so this is certainly not irrelevant anymore exactly. as some of them might even potentially run again for president this is a good conversation to have an important one in light of how things are shaping up. So also I think uh this topic came about because I was interviewing uh Max Suryadinata who is a pastor and peace activist and he was actually the founder of ETAN and I was connected to him via John Miller who's the current national coordinator for ETAN the East Timor and Indonesia Action Network which was instrumental in showcasing to the international community the human rights violations and abuses done by the Indonesian military. And you ha- you guys had this conversation while you were in New York, right? Um, yes. Still try to find Indonesia related stories even in Manhattan. And we conducted this interview over Google Voice, so apologies for the less than pristine sound quality, but I hope that the content makes up for it. Also, an early plug for Etan is currently planning it's um, national strategy this coming year and needs your help. So we'll link to that in our page on how you can help ETAN. So to give you, our listeners, a little bit of context to the history of East Timor and some of the topics that Stephanie and John talked about, here's a great recording that Stephanie already did for Pinterpolitik about the history of East Timor. So shout out to the team at Pinterpolitik for sound engineering and creating this great video. That's available in both English and Indonesian on YouTube. Yeah. Without further ado, here's to it. Indonesia is a country that places a huge amount of emphasis in the concept of national unity, commonly referred to as NKRI, which means that no part of Indonesia should break apart of its territorial boundaries. Given that the country is comprised of dozens of ethnicities and hundreds of languages, it is a concept that has kept Indonesia largely intact for 72 years. But East Timor, one of the world's newest countries, did break away from Indonesia and became independent in 1999. The former 27th province of Indonesia became independent after 24 years through a referendum monitored and organized by the United Nations. So how did East Timor gain their independence? Unlike most other places in Indonesia colonized by the Dutch, East Timor was under Portuguese occupation for hundreds of years. Consequently, East Timor was not part of the original Indonesian territories that declared independence in 1945. 
East Timor only became a part of Indonesia in 1974, after the Carnation Revolution in Portugal overthrew the existing government and created a power vacuum in East Timor. The Indonesian army quickly launched Operation Saroja, occupying East Timor to supposedly protect it from communism. This started a 24-year armed conflict that led to the deaths of 150,000 people, which is about 20% of East Timor's population. On the political front, the Indonesian government also pitted local political factions against each other, encouraging and rewarding those who are supportive of integration of East Timor to Indonesia. These parties are the Akordet, Timorese Popular Democratic Association, and the UDT, Timorese Democratic Union. While the Fretalin, or Revolutionary Front for an Independent East Timor, battled and protested against the Indonesian authorities. One pivotal moment for the East Timor spike was the Santa Cruz Massacre, where the Indonesian armed forces opened fire on hundreds of unarmed protesters at a cemetery, killing over 250 people. The massacre was witnessed, recorded, and reported by numerous members of the Foreign Press Corps, and the army was even complicit in beating some international journalists, such as Democracy Now! founder Amy Goodman. Since the massacre was caught on tape, the East Timor's independence movement gained some international attention. Many criticized and even supported East Timor's independence through founding of ITAN, East Timor Action Network. This network drew a lot of attention on human rights violations in East Timor done by the Indonesian Armed Forces. But it was not until the fall of Suharto regime in 1998 that made independence possible. Coming from the violent May 1998 riots and with a new civilian president, military occupation became untenable. President B.J. Habibi called for a referendum to decide the East Timor question. And, in a 78% landslide, East Timor, or now known as Timor-Leste, became a new country. Call is now being recorded. Yeah, uh, to begin with, can we maybe have you kind of introduce yourself and what you've been doing with ETAN and ETAN itself a little bit? I'm uh, John Miller, I'm National Coordinator of the East Timor and Indonesia Action Network, otherwise known as ETAN. And uh, we work on uh, primarily human rights and justice issues related to Indonesia, West Papua, and uh, East Timor, Timor-Leste. Uh, we were founded in 1991, November 1991, following the Santa Cruz Massacre, mm -hmm. when uh, Indonesian troops uh, murdered at least uh, 271 uh, peaceful protesters in uh, Delhi, the capital of mm -hmm. East Timor. And uh, we began as the East Timor Action Network uh, to support East Timor self-determination and to change U.S. policy to support uh, East Timor's right to choose uh, independence or some other status. Mm -hmm. And uh, we began by focusing on the U.S.-Indonesian military relationship. So sure. We saw the 
because Indonesian forces is trained with the uh, American military force, right? And there was that connection uh, yes, there? Yes, there were. The U.S. was, and the U.S. also at the time was Indonesia's main foreign uh, weapon supplier. Right. And our uh, assumption was that the U.S. military and the Indonesian military would value that relationship more than they would uh, value uh, maintaining control over Timor, mm-hmm. and that's sort of what happened uh, through the course of the 90s. We and uh, Congress and uh, various administrations uh, gradually restricted various forms of uh, U.S. military assistance, beginning with some military training in 1992, and in the midst of the uh, massacres and uh, right. destruction the following the referendum in 99, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. the U.S. cut off everything. And yeah. The Indonesian military quickly agreed to uh, do what uh, the Indonesian government had promised, respect the results of the referendum, uh, and right. uh, allow the U.N. to midwife an independence. Midwife an independence. When you, along with other people, started E10, how did it come about exactly? I know we were both in the apartment recently where Itan was founded. Um, but yeah, how did that exactly take place? Uh, so the massacre happened uh, November 12th. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, in New York, a few of us who knew each other from uh, other kinds of uh, organizing uh, mm-hmm. peace and disarmament issues primarily in the Asia-Pacific region that we should meet. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I had been working on uh, primarily issues of U.S. Uh, military bases right. in Asia and the Pacific and the militarization of the oceans. Mm-hmm. And uh, through that, that's how I learned, one of the ways I had learned about mm-hmm. East Timor, because in the Pacific right. it was the nuclear-free and independent Pacific struggle, so included the independent struggles like East Timor's. Um, and uh, similar things were happening in other cities around around the U.S. People that kind of knew, knew something about East Timor were concerned about U.S. foreign policy mm-hmm. uh, or uh, had a special interests in, say, Indonesia. Right. Including journalists and yeah. like Amy Goodman and Allernane who yeah. were there. So, uh, yeah, so they were there and I think it was instrumental when they came back to New York. They very much encouraged us to mm-hmm. uh, keep going and they, when they came back, were very much in demand as speakers. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's one of the ways we right. kind of began to gather, you know, to start a group, you need a list of people. So, right. So and, it was a group, and your background was in peace activism, correct? Yeah, yeah, I had right. worked for worked for various peace and disarmament organizations and periodicals. Right. So. Yeah, and I think with Eastern in particular, and and in, with East Timor, I think a lot of the um, international. Uh, work being done by ETAN and other people really pressured various governments into acting? Would you say that? Well, um, uh, I think partly because we were in New York where the UN mm-hmm. is, we gradually took on and helping coordinate things internationally. There mm-hmm. was, of course, uh, Tim Reeves, uh Exiles, particularly Jose Ramos Huerta and others who had been traveling the world for <laughs> a decade or you know 15 years before we became into existence. 
So they, they had built lots of connections, uh, you know, outside of the U.S., the U.K., and Australia. The most supportive um, governments were, you know, Indonesia's fellow uh, ASEAN members. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think one of the important things that happened as the crisis built, particularly in 99, is that a lot of those uh, governments, you know, didn't sort of stand by silently say this is an mm-hmm. internal matter, when clearly it wasn't. Mm-hmm. A, a UN mission, among other things, among, mm-hmm. under attack, uh, you know, sort of stood up and pressured Indonesia to allow uh, eventually uh, Australian-led and then UN-led uh, peacekeeping force to come in. And we're entering the 18th year anniversary for the referendum, right? And what's um, what has been East Timor's politics like, especially more recently with their new president? Uh, okay, so uh, uh, so the, the presidencies have sort of have uh, transitioned quite uh, regularly and peacefully, and then there are also uh, following that parliamentary elections mm-hmm. last month. And uh, prior to those, for the past few years, there's been an informal government of national unity. It's always a debate. Is it better to have kind of uh, a, uh, even if it's slightly forced national unity, so the country mm-hmm. is all working in the same direction, mm-hmm. or is it better to have you know uh, an opposition that's vigorous and questioning government decisions and hopefully right. helping to improve them? I think I think yeah, you know, I think for Timor, it's, yeah, it's democracy is mature enough. Would you say a lot of East Timorese uh, resent Indonesia? in general, or what's the kind of feeling that East Timorese have to their former occupiers? I think there's a a resentment. Um, uh, That's an interesting question. I'm not sure I am qualified to answer. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think this, I'm just saying that. Shanana has led led an effort of Mm -hmm. uh, sort of let's forgive the past. Mm Mm-hmm but not forget it, so that there actually right. are efforts within Timor to take what was learned from the mm-hmm. truth and uh, reception and uh, mm-hmm. reconciliation commission, the Timor Sullivan right. Commission, turn that into uh, curriculum, uh, memorials, uh, mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, you know, there are annual commemorations of the Santa Cruz massacre in Dili, you know, with government, yeah, government participation, or annual commemorations of other massacres with the government and participation <laughs> comes and goes. Um, so yeah, so there's not a the official kind of government argument yeah. is uh, if we, uh, you know, some I think would would have liked to or would like to prosecutions. Right. It's not realistic, you know, what can right. tiny Timor do against Indonesia? We don't want to upset, you know, Indonesia. Yeah, Indonesia is still the primary. Timor is cl- closest ally at the moment, but yeah. it's also its closest. Yeah, Timor remains tremendously right. um, on dependent the on Timor. Products oil, and products, economy, oil, right? Secure and secu- security yeah. of its lone border. Uh, With Australia or? No, with, with Indonesia. Well, within Indonesia, Indonesia yeah, and the East Timor. Yeah. Anyone yeah. has one land border. Right. What is ETAN doing specifically now? And I know you're raising uh, funds to help support ETAN, and you want to talk a little bit about that. 
do a lot with a little, a relatively low-budget <laughs> organization, one staff person, me. Um, and uh, the um, so what we're we're sort of in in a planning mode, but we're definitely working on. Uh, we're looking for uh, the West Papuan uh, movement has become much more united in, in recent years. Mm-hmm. Sort of has developed is developing a coherent international strategy. So mm-hmm. working to support that, help them raise the issue at the UN and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are, you know, continue to you know, advocate for justice and accountability. Mm-hmm. Sometimes seems like we're talking to ourselves uh, you know, <laughs> for for past uh, and some and ongoing human rights uh, violations and abuses in Indonesia and in West Papua and Timor. Um, we uh, try to respond to and sort of amplify uh, mm-hmm. efforts by by local, uh, particularly human rights groups, environmental groups, others, women's mm-hmm. groups, something, you know, campaigns they might have in those areas that you know, want international support. We try to spread the word about that. A lot, a lot of what we do is information uh, flow, uh, and uh, so we're in the midst of uh, pre- preparing kind of up-to-date uh, background pieces on major past uh, mm-hmm. human rights violations, and also a way to educate ourselves, you know, particularly in Indonesia and West Papua. And you know, just wanting to get out there and do more. Uh, Less behind the computer screen, <laughs> out <laughs> talking to people, out know, through uh, through podcasts like this. Certainly, and we're hoping to we're planning a series of public right. events, right. Uh, particularly yeah. in the in the New York area, you know, right. for the coming six months or so. Mm-hmm. So people can go to our website. It's probably the easiest way. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just uh, www.etans.org. Okay, I think we have a lot to work with. Thank you for having me. I do really appreciate it. Now, 18 years on from the violent situation that brought about its independence, uh, East Timor is doing much better, but there's certainly still some economic uncertainties. Most of East Timor's budgets, 90% of its annual government revenue comes from oil and gas. And oil and gas also accounts for 80% of their GDP and 93% of their imports. And um, this is highly serious because most of their reserves are projected to be exhausted by 2024. That's really quick and it's really worrisome. And that's something I think if I was the country's financial and economics minister, I would be mm-hmm. unable to sleep about. But on its political front, I feel that East Timor, especially from Down's conversation, has really found a sweet spot today. Yeah. So hopefully with their new consensus model of political governance, they can 
rally and take control of their economy. And yeah, we'll be you know we'll be keeping tabs and watching how things unfold from both nearby in Indonesia and also far from the states. And if any of our listeners are interested in getting to know more about Etan's work, they're doing a solidarity survey right now, as well as a newsletter and all of this information you can get from their website etan.org and we'll link it on our resources page and we'll link it through our social networks and yeah if you guys are interested that's one way to find out more about the work they're doing Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, dialica.id. Music credits to John Dealey and, of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com. Or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and our Twitter. Please follow us in these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at DiologicaPod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's Steph Tank. That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again, and see you guys next time. Bye!